Welcome back to It's Not Academic, the podcast, education conversations from HECO. I'm Rosanna Tambury, research editor. In the lead-up to our Rethinking Access conference, we have explored different dimensions of access on this podcast. One area we have not yet discussed is the skilled trades. The trades are often left out of conversations about post-secondary education, despite the demand and opportunities that exist for students. Bobby Watt is a keynote speaker at the conference and president of the RJW Jem Campbell Stonemasons. He is a master stonemason specializing in the conservation of historic buildings and has overseen the refurbishment of the Parliament buildings in Ottawa. He's also an educator. I spoke to Bobby about his personal journey and what lessons it holds for today's young people. I began by asking him how he got his start. Um, I actually started work and I left school just before my 16th birthday and went to work for the company and then you get signed up in Scotland in that time. Uh, you get signed up in in uh, on your 16th birthday. So um, To do an apprenticeship? Yeah, to do an apprenticeship. So that would be 1970, so, which is a fairly long time ago now. I mean, it's 47 years ago, for goodness sake. Um, but that was the way it was done. If you didn't, if, if you were going through an apprenticeship stream, um, it was recognised usually fairly early on that that's, that's where you'd be going, and, and it was a, a viable option for for kids um, and for my family, fairly um, not well off at all. You know, working both parents working, um, not a lot of money to send me to university anyway. Although in Scotland at that time there were you know, really generous bursaries, so I could. My marks were such that if I'd wanted to, I could have gone to university. Um, I did get some of the um, Scottish uh, education certificates that you need to get in. I would have had to do more to get in, but I could have pulled it off, I think. But I uh, I wanted to, to start earning right away rather than having to wait to mm-hmm. earn, so it was good. Why did you do stonemasonry? That, again, that's just synchronicity. My One of my pals at school, his father... Um, ran uh, the biggest of the masonry companies on the island. I come from the Isle of Arran, which is a very small place um, geographically off the west coast of Scotland, only about 3,000 people. And um, there were two or three builders um, on the island, but uh, Thompson Construction was the biggest of them. And because of my friendship with Ian, um, and my father knew Ian's father, it became a conversation um, that, that... just seemed to happen naturally. You were looking for an apprenticeship? Yeah, and, and I, I could I, I mean, I had two or three options open to me. My uncle was a mechanic, motor mechanic, and, and that was open to me also. Um, and I was also thinking about joining the Air Force. I, I've always been interested in aircraft, so I, and rather than be a pilot, which really needs some, some serious education levels, um, I would have gone in as an airframe mechanic or something like that, and then they would have trained me and paid me to train as well. So having, I had known a couple of people that had gone that route, so I really had three options open to me and, and I chose masonry because it it, uh, it just seemed to make sense for me at the time. And then what brought you to Canada? Same thing, masonry, uh, standing in a bar one night and, and met a chap who was um, who had friends in the Toronto Scottish Rugby Club and, and the one guy in the Toronto Scottish was bemoaning the fact that he couldn't get stonemasons to, to build the steps on First Canadian Place downtown <laughs> and so he was complaining to this friend of mine who had been in Canada for a number of years and, and he was back home on a summer holiday and I just happened to be standing be, beside him at a bar and, and he says, you're a stonemason he says, you ever fancy going to Canada? he says, I have a friend who's always complaining he can't get stonemasons and that was just one of these things we thought would come for two years and, and uh, work on that job till it got done and then go back to Scotland. And of course, we never went back. That was us. 
And how did you come to do the uh, work on Parliament Hill? Because that's your signature project. That's right? yeah, that's become the signature project. Um, in in the course between 1975 and we came to Canada, I was 21 when we emigrated to Canada. So in the course of getting to Canada and then getting my own company, uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff went on. There was a, a major strike within the union um, two or three months after I arrived and, and ended up having to, uh, to either join or find another um, living or go back to Scotland. I didn't want to go back to Scotland and admit defeat. So um, one of the guys in the union said, you've got the right accent, you're the right size, just go up and join the Toronto Police. So I went and joined Toronto Police with the idea that it was a six month training if I got through the six month training and I liked it I would stay in and if I didn't like it I would come back and work as a mason again and uh, as it turned out I did both I did like it in Toronto Police so I, stayed, I ended up being a police diver but I was building all the time I was there um, the, the way the structure days off structure is you'd work seven and have six off and work seven and a five off so it was, it was great to to, um, to have another strength in my bow I was building fireplaces and extensions and and all that kind of stuff for other policemen. So I, I kept my trade going all the, in all the. I was in the police for eleven years until nineteen eighty seven. I started my my own business in nineteen eighty seven, and then by nineteen ninety two, um, I was working at Queens Park. And one of the things that has uh, marked the trade of stonemasonry in Canada is that there was never any stonemasonry training um, after the First World War. Um, and in 1992, when I started at Queen's Park, the people that I was that I was surrounded by had no idea really what they were doing. And so the people at Queen's Park and the people who were the consultants on the job said, we've got to do something about this. You're trained. You're going to have to train these other people. So that's we set up a training program at Durham College in Whitby, which was financed by um, Human Resources Development Canada at the time, HRDC at the time. Um, Paul Martin was the finance minister at the time, actually, under Critchan. And uh, we started training. Uh, and then, so that was 92. We worked at Queen's Park, 92, 93, 94, 95. And partway through 1995, two nice people from Ottawa came up and said, we're just starting work on Parliament Hill here. Could you come up to Ottawa and start a training programme on that site as well? And so that's what I did. I came up here in 1996 and didn't ever leave here either. You're still here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... My father was a bricklayer. Yeah. Yeah, and he felt about the trades the same as you do. You know, that it's, that you get to be your own boss, and yeah. it's creative, mm-hmm. and you do a bit of everything. You do a bit of design, and you do your own finances, right. and everything. So, uh, but do you ever feel that the skilled trades get a short shrift? Yeah, I think, uh, and it's, it's got a lot to do with the immigrant um, way, because mm-hmm. uh, people who came over here, and most of the bricklayers and, and uh and um, other trades. Most of the cement trades, shall we say, uh, plasterers, bricklayers, um, cement finishers, they're mostly Portuguese and Italian. And the big deal was that they didn't ever want their kids to be have their hands dirty. They wanted the kids to go to university and, and be, be doctor. doctors and dentists and, and lawyers and, and not have to work and, and get themselves dirty. But um, in Scotland, there's always been this saying, where there's, where there's muck, there's money. You know, and if you're, if you're getting dirty, I mean, look at the, look at what the plumbers get. I mean, the plumbers' wages are, are ludicrous. And and the biggest thing about 
for my, it was a practical thing. My father's a very practical man. He used to work for the bank and, and he was a very practical man. He said, look, if you're going to be an apprentice, you're learning and you're getting paid to learn right from the instant you start, right? Your very first day, somebody's putting money in your pocket to learn how to do this. And it only gets better after that. If you become really good at what you do, then you can have your own company and then you have other, you have your own apprentices and your own people working for you. And, and um, it, it becomes a, a, a self um fulfilling prophecy if you're if you're willing to take it that all the ways that, that you have to go and as you say you're you're dealing with um, business administration you're dealing with little bits of engineering little bits of architecture design all of these things all make your day exciting and 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 very fulfilling and you know the poor people that go and i don't i'm not knocking people with fine arts degrees but um there's a lot of people with, with many many degrees who are who are pumping gas at canadian tire or, Asking people if they want fries with that, um, because there's no work. They they, they spent maybe forty thousand some of them getting through university, and come out on the other side and there's nothing to do, and that's sad. We've got many people have come to us after a, a career like that, trying to get a career going like that, and at, at 25, 26, 35 um, said no, it's just not working. I need to do something else, and a lot of the people that were applying to come into the courses I was doing at Durham College. Were coming from university, very, very bright, intelligent people who couldn't get a, a job in their chosen uh, field. So they ended up being masons and, and, and thoroughly enjoying themselves. And these are some. So you still see some of these people, right? And you still run the training program on part of it. No, well, no, we, we do. No, not really, because it's it's um, it's been taken over. Um, we've we've gotten better. Bricklayers and, and stonemasons used to be very, very different. They still are very, very different, but. In about the early 1900s, the, the unions amalgamated the two trades. And because stone wasn't being used anymore, it was all brick and concrete and glass uh, walls, um, the stone just got lost and would bring more people over from Italy or Scotland or Ireland to do whatever stone needed to be done. And when they died off, there was no way of passing on the stuff. But nowadays, things are so... Um, much better now. We've got Algonquin College here in Ottawa. We have um, uh, stone masonry uh, portions of the, the union training program now down in Toronto and in Ottawa and out in Calgary and, and various places around the country. And because of the world is so much smaller a place now, there's people go from here over to the UK to do the, the programs at at, um, at the colleges there, Harriet Watt University in, in uh, in Edinburgh is very very good one not just for the stone cutting but also for conservation which is um, another level up that um, heritage tree if you like mm-hmm. and Weymouth College in the south of England there's courses in, in Rome and in France, Poland and people can go and, and tour the tour the their European um, family homeland if you like while, while studying uh, masonry, which is really, really cool. And then they come back to Canada and apply what they've learned over there. So it's a, it's a, it's an exciting time to be in this business. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's something that more that Canada should be doing to encourage, not, not, I mean, not to force at a young age to say you are destined to, to be a, an apprentice or you're destined to go to university, not that, but to encourage uh students to think more broadly about their future and what that could be and how the skilled and what role the skilled trades could could play in that well i think we've started it i mean we have the pathways program in in ontario now which is 
which is fabulous. And, and I'm on the board of, of the Canadian Apprenticeship Forum, which is also trying to make sure that, that the high schools and even middle schools have, have access to information that they can take to the kids and say, um, this is an option for you. If you don't want to go or your parents can't afford to send you to university until we have, have um, you know, universal uh, education paid for, which is not liable to happen very quickly, although people are talking about it now at least, um, you, you can go and be a tradesperson and, and this huge thing, learning, getting paid to learn, which is which is great. And I think that the pathways, um, people in the, in the high schools now are really getting a hold of it. I go and talk to high schools quite a lot and we have a couple of, of um, students doing their, their uh, placements downstairs, you know, right at this minute there's two youngsters down there um, in grade 10 and, and they're looking both of them would like to be um, in the trades and they'll do maybe two or three months with us and then they'll go and do two or three months with a plumbing company or a carpentry company or, or and see get an idea of which way they want to jump and, and they can you know then make a, a reasoned decision for themselves if they really like this or they really like that then they can they've got an option and I don't think that was available even 10 years ago that wasn't available it's just it seems to me it's just been starting this last half dozen so you, years so you see positive change absolutely, there absolutely absolutely getting to people and this is always my point let's get to the kids earlier let's get to them when they're in grade 9 and 10 and 11 and, and, and go and talk to them about what the options are and and uh, I have I got a great deal of um, enjoyment out of doing that because it's um just recently working with, uh, with Jamie McKinnon who's a woman from Hamilton who's um, got two trades she's, she's a, an iron worker a certificate red seal certificate in iron working red seal certificate in welding so she's a, a high um, high access um, builder you know and most women would never ever think of it getting into that but Jamie now uh, Jamie was talking to um, hundreds of grade 9 and 10 uh, girls from all over eastern Ontario down in Kempville and, and Cornwall um, just before Christmas time and I went down to, to help out one day and, and we had a grand time with these with these girls and they're just blown away when you tell somebody that that whose family are working and in, in, in struggling to ha- you know make a decent life for the kids and all the rest of it and maybe on the on the border of, of I think the average wage in Canada is about 45,000 or something like that and family, collective family wage is maybe 60,000 when you tell a bunch of nine, nine to ten, grade nine and ten girls that that somebody like Jamie's making ninety to one hundred and twenty every year just herself, they go, "Wow, that's you know, it blows them away." And the fact that they're earning as soon as they start blows them away. And, and I think that's the sort of stuff we're getting out now that we never did very well before. And that's what excites the kids. It certainly excites us. I mean, we're, um, Canadian Apprenticeship Forum. Uh, they're saying they're telling me we're about 350,000 apprentices down at the moment and it's before we get to 2020 it's going to be a half a million Mm -hmm. so we've got to find all of these people yeah yeah all across the country so there's lots of opportunities lots and lots and lots of opportunity yeah I've got my own favorite I love being a stonemason and I love the stonemasonry trade but there's lots of great trades out there 110 of them or something Mm -hmm. do you think we're sometimes I mean, you say things are starting to change, but do you think we sometimes do a disservice to kids not telling them about all the options out there? Well, I would hope that that's pretty well stopped now. I mean, I, I would hate to think... Um, we had one... I was up in uh, up in Halliburton there um, last October, talking to again, talking to kids in the, in the high schools, 
Kawartha Lakes um, High School District, and and um, there was one girl there in the classroom who, whose mother was appalled at the thought that she was thinking about becoming uh, an apprentice electrician, and so I said to the teacher, I said, "Well, can you not send a, a note home or it, you know bring the woman in here to see what you do in here? They've got three beautiful workshops in there." Um, to, to let people try hands-on stuff and see what they want to do. Um, and, of course, the, the teacher says, well, no, you can't uh, force-feed people. You know, you can't influence them to do something that they don't want to do. Um, but I think maybe we should be shoving a wee bit harder with parents like that, that that, uh, that are denying their kids one avenue that they may want to take very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's cheating them somehow, you know. You can't force people. You can't put people into, into pigeonholes. You have to let them be themselves. And they want to go into a pigeonhole, great, but let them choose which pigeonhole they want to go into. Yeah. Right, whether it's a bricklayer or a doctor. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or visit our SoundCloud page.